Better Than Health podcast, a plant-dominant resource for those looking to expand and elevate their lives. Each week, we will bring you provocative topics and conversations, entertaining interviews, and some of the biggest names in health and wellness to answer your burning questions. You will leave each episode with tangible tips and takeaways and understand what it truly means to live an energized and optimized life. Enjoy. It's people's inability to be comfortable knowing what to do or say. And it's almost as if we've gotten to a place where looking at somebody and saying, I'm sorry you have to go through this, isn't enough. And that's, it is enough. It's plenty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Hotter Than Health. I'm so pleased to have you here with me. If this is your first episode of Hotter Than Health, you're just checking it out for the first time, make sure you're checking out some of our nutrition and wellness Q&As. We've got a ton going on on the podcast. You can find something about anything, whether it is gut health, hormones, whether it is syncing up your cycle with your workouts, a plant-dominant lifestyle. We talk about sex. We talk about relationships, therapy, we go everywhere on this podcast. So deep dive in. Hopefully this episode is going to resonate in some way. And if not, you'll just appreciate the humility and the versatility of our guest today. Again, much appreciation. If you are new and you have not quite gotten the chance to review the podcast, every week we are picking and selecting one winner to receive a hotter than health tote bag you can check it out on instagram on the hotter than health podcast instagram but we did just come out with totes and they are sick they're perfect size for the farmer's market they're great for anytime you're going to a coffee shop and you just want to put your you know a water bottle keys phone wallet and laptop in your bag it's the best I absolutely love it. I use it all the time. I actually need to wash it. But every week I go into the iTunes reviews for the podcast and I get one person who has entered a review and I send them a tote bag. If you want that to be you, just mention your favorite part of today's episode, mentioning the word thyroid, mentioning anything that has to do specifically with this podcast in this episode so that I know it was you and then listen to the next week, see if you want. Cool. Wow. You know, I don't often, hmm, I'm trying to think of how I say this because, hmm, and I'm trying to keep this as raw and unfiltered as possible. This episode goes there. You have heard me get vulnerable on other episodes. You know that I, you know, especially based on where I am in my cycle, you know that I can be emotional, but it's always it's always impactful and it's always constructive but this episode hits so close to home because this is someone who i connected with actually through thyroid cancer and if you're new to the podcast i've mentioned this on previous episodes that my mom passed 4 years ago from thyroid cancer anaplastic thyroid cancer and it was fast and hard and traumatic and it's very much still a part of my life every day and the recovery is ongoing. However, that is not my story. My story is experiencing someone else living with thyroid cancer and today we get to talk with Chris Vasami. 
on what it's like living with cancer. So who is Chris Vasami? Chris Vasami is based in Charlotte. He is actually a hitting coach. He helps baseball and softball athletes maximize their movement and power. He's 37 years old. He has thyroid cancer and he still he still finds a way to bring so much strength and stoicism and patience and this beautiful combination of masculinity and emotional femininity into his life. He, you show up, you meet this guy and you think there's no way. He is the pillar of strength and masculinity and <laughs> full on strength. I, that's the only word that comes to mind when I think of Chris. We had a really deep, profound conversation about his experience with diagnosis, how it is affecting his life with his wife and his children, how he stays strong and moves forward and continues to strive for excellence in progress in his day-to-day life. I think that when you listen to this man, you will not think this is a sick person. You will not think anything other than, wow, I'm motivated. I want to do better. I, w- I want to practice more gratitude. That is something that Chris instills into every single conversation. We met through a family friend and I had the honor of hearing him speak publicly. And he's like a, a more relaxed Tony Robbins, if you can imagine it. And I think you absolutely will love this episode. We talk about supplements. We talk about salt. We talk about thyroid cancer. We talk about sex. We talk about hormones. And I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. We just go everywhere here. It gets emotional. It is inspirational. You'll feel motivated at the end. And without further ado, let me introduce to you my friend, Chris Vasami. Welcome to the podcast. You know, one of the questions that somebody, you know, I asked a couple people at the gym, asked me some questions, you know some questions out and one of the questions they asked was you know um what are some things that people shouldn't say or do with people who are newly you know sick or diagnosed whatever it is and honestly like one of the worst things that ever happened was you know people were coming up to my wife telling them about friends that they had who had thyroid cancer and they were back to work in six weeks and they're back to this so like it was unrealistic expectations like trying to make you feel better but you don't know my situation. Right. Yeah. And so because of that, after six months, I wasn't better. Mm -hmm. I was actually worse and getting worse Mm -hmm. and leading to another totally different diagnosis and a whole nother surgery coming. And like, so things like that. Okay. I had to already hit play because that was just, we had to hear that. That was good. (laughs) But also I, I, I have that written down because whenever mom was sick, People were like, you know what? Thyroid cancer is like the number one th- cancer that you can beat. And I just kept it's saying, the one to fuck get. you. That's what everybody <laughs> says. It's the one to get. Like if I could choose one. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, there's always an outlier. And even doctors do that. Yeah. Wh- and, uh, and to their defense, they thought that was it in the very totally. very beginning. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? They're healthy, 30-something-year-old, you know, athlete mm-hmm. with a healthy lifestyle. All right, so Chris, yes. we're in your office. We're in Charlotte. This is only the second time we've met in person. Yeah. But I do feel like we have a soul connection that we have w- able to kind of go deep quickly. Mm-hmm. 
And I do think that that's, it, it almost seems meditative. You know how uh, you meditate time after time after time, hoping to get that deep sub- subconscious, I don't know, nirvana feeling. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And more times than not, it doesn't happen. But I feel like it's the same with relationships where surface, 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 deep. Right. You know? So I just want to say I appreciate you. And I'm really happy you're here. Yeah, no, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Of course. Also, okay, before we get started with questions, what was the Daily Stoic today? You can read off of it. Yeah, But I just want to see what it was because I didn't bring it with me. Yeah, no, um, today was about living without restriction and how basically everything comes with a price. You're, no matter what, you no matter what success you have for the most part everything is going to come with a price is it going to be the price of having to wear a suit every day answering to people that you don't respect or trust um i think he says that at the end of the day um slavery resides under marble and gold and so is the cost of your freedom and and for a lot of us it's mental freedom mm-hmm. um is that worth what you would consider to be, you know, rich and bountiful. I was actually thinking about that the other day. Someone was like, you know what? I really want to quit my nine to five. I just, I want to be some kind of coach or I want to be something. And I was like, I'm telling you, you will be your own employee. You will be hustling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You will be hustling behind a desk. You know, you quit the nine to five. It does not mean that you can always work from a coffee shop or travel and right. it doesn't increase your revenue immediately. It's just all of these little things. And so it is a is the grass greener situation. When you present yourself, you are an archetypal man. You show up as a, a really assertive presence and very male dominated character. So how did you grow up? Where were, where are you from? What was your family dynamic like growing up? I grew up in Mamaroneck, New York, which is just outside New York City. I am one of four. I'm second. Um, my older brother, Ralph, is six and a half years older than me. My younger brother, Greg, is two and a half years younger than me. And my sister, Laura, is three and a half younger than me. I'm a firm believer in birth order. Um, okay. You know, I'm second born and... The dynamic, my brother being six and a half years older than me, my sister being the baby and the only girl, she's, you know, kind of... In a league of her own. Yeah, on her own. And so, I, you know, we if you kind of break it down, it's three boys and then a girl. And so, I like to joke with people that I am the typical second child. I own my own business. I have tattoos. And the only person I could probably work for is my dad, and he won't hire me. So, <laughs> um, so I... I just love all that aspect of it and the older I get and the more I dive into it and the more I start to realize you know those dynamics and those unconscious years of development are just they really do set you up for the rest of your life um so grew up there loved baseball my whole life loved sports my whole life loved learning my whole life and being able to grow up in that environment where you know you can have a small town feel once in a while but then you're 30 minutes from New York City you're just Mm -hmm. open to a lot of things um I was an all-american baseball player in high school and then started out at Notre Dame ended up transferring to Elon University where I got drafted and played six years of professional baseball all the while um when I was a sophomore in college 
the last game of the year, I was in a collision at first base and I blew my left shoulder out, ended up having surgery on um, the end of July. And so when I got home in the beginning of June, my mom was like, look, you need to get a job. And by that time, all the internships had already started. So I ran to the computer and did some old-fashioned clip art and put together a flyer and put it up around town. And that's how Vasami training started. And it was just one of those things that Vasami training was running parallel to my professional career. Mm. Um, and then as I started to see that my professional career was winding down, I started to ramp up the Vasami training part, got with the behavioral psychologist, started working with him and helping not only myself, but also understanding how people learn, kids learn, you know, the difference between a child who comes from a nuclear family and a child who his parents are or her parents are divorced and how does that shape the 30 or 45 or 60 minutes that we spend together mm -hmm. um and so i've just i've loved it and, and i love teaching and i love being of service and collaboration and so um ha have you always been level-headed have you always been pretty clear-minded knowing what you want or did that take adaptation like what were you like as a kid were you fucking around in classes or were you pretty studious yeah I was I was studious I I look back and I'm so much more of a student now I I always say if you look at my transcript you know exactly what I was into and what I was just doing because I had to um and that's kind of just what I've been I'm not really um a good faker when it comes to um things that I'm into I was listening to actually your podcast this morning and you were talking about the aspect of, well, I'm all in or I'm not. And you know, oh, this yeah, is yeah, just yeah. what I am. And it's, and it's, it's not that I'm all in, but it's just a matter of understanding. I think I've always had a deep intuition that, um, you only get so much energy. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you can't waste it on, um, things that you're not into and things that aren't going to somehow help you along the way. Yeah. Um, and it's not that everything, has to be selfish and I have to get something out of it. It's just a matter of understanding that your time is worth it. Yeah. Your time is worth it. And is it doing good for others or is it doing good for me? Is it taking me farther away from the character that I want to be? And obviously if you diagnose every single moment, then you're going to live an exhausting life full of anxiety, but for the most part, you know, 80, 20, but that goes back to a little bit more of what, what I kind of want to hear about, your mentality you have an athlete's mentality mm -hmm. where you're you can take direction follow direction you're pretty precise I'd like to I'd like to scale that to I feel like athletes are in control of how how much they can refine their skills mm -hmm. you know you want to get better at hitting so you're going to practice every day you have coaches for that you have all these things so you can actually determine where you're going to go Michael Jordan shooting three for those for, you know, hours and hours after practice. I'd like to pivot the conversation a little to when you got diagnosed mm -hmm. with thyroid cancer. And can you tell us about the day that that happened? And then we can move into how it's affected your ability to use your skills that you've cultivated. Yeah. Um, January 5th, 2017 is the day that I got the phone call and mm -hmm. ironically, I was um, at the gym working out. And if you go back to 
September of 16, that's when things really started. And um, my wife was getting ready to leave for a bachelorette weekend. And I just woke up and I had this empty feeling in my stomach like I didn't want her to leave. And that was not categorically me at all. That was a very weird characteristic for me to feel like something was going to be missing and I was like empty. And mm-hmm. so wow. Um she she's like, you know, she's like this will be fine, babe. Like don't worry and I'll be back in a couple she days. She thought you were just going to miss her kind of thing, you yeah. know. And um so at the same time, um two of my best friends live down in Miami. So I hit them up and I was like, "Hey, I was like, you know, can I come down for the weekend pages away?" They were like, "Yeah, come down." So went down, had a good time, came back, and every two weeks something new just popped up that was uncharacteristic of me. I started not wanting to come to work. I didn't want to work out. I didn't really want to be around people. I felt way too much comfort staying in bed, being on the couch. Um, you know, I have a beautiful wife. I we were newlyweds. I should have been wanting to be all over her. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, even to the point where I didn't even think about like masturbating anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. just none, nothing that was joyful for me was, mm-hmm. was even a thought anymore. Um, I just felt like this shell of myself and it was about, and you hadn't changed your, any medications. You had like nothing that you could think of. Nothing. And so it was, mid end of October we were out at a wedding in um California and a good friend of ours who is a doctor who we all went to college with um said to my wife she was like Paige there's something wrong with Chris there's this is just not who I know he's not not that he's not fun but he's just like he's lifeless just lifeless yeah so we got home Paige shared that with me and I was like all right you know what I'm gonna just I'm gonna go get checked out you know did she sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. did Paige recognize this as well at home. Did she notice you weren't touching her and you weren't motivated? Yeah, but uh, she she hadn't really brought it up to me up to that point. Um, you know, at the time we were here in Charlotte, but my main business was in New York, so I was traveling back and forth pretty much every week. So maybe we we were thinking we both were thinking it. We never talked about it, Got but it. we were thinking, is this? a symptom of just traveling too much and being exhausted and living here and working there. And, um, so no one, we just didn't really talk about that much. We had a conversation. I went and saw a urologist, got a bunch of blood work back and saw that my testosterone was just super low. Mm -hmm. And when the doctor said to me, Hey, I want to give you these synthetic pellets, which when I went home and did my research, the number one side effect is infertility. The average age of the man who takes these synthetic pellets are 60 plus. I'm sitting here. I'm 31 years old at the time. So nothing felt right. Like athlete. You have muscles. You, you have had <laughs> yeah. raging testosterone your whole life. Right. Nothing felt good about it at all. I went and saw another urologist in Charlotte. Then I finally said to myself, I go to New York every week. Let me take advantage of, you know. New York doctors and my network in New York. And so I finally saw a doctor up there. This is probably right around Thanksgiving now. And 
he started to have an understanding of maybe helping me understand why I could have low testosterone. And we started some treatment and um, started to feel a little bit better. But my family has a history of thyroid issues, mm-hmm. all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was recommended to me to go see an endocrinologist. So I went and saw an endocrinologist on December 13th, met with her. She was the first doctor throughout this whole period to put her hands on me. She felt a giant lump in my neck. She said, do you mind if I do an ultrasound? I said, sure. Lay down. She saw five tumors that day, just right there on the ultrasound. Two weeks later, in between Christmas and New Year's, I'm uh, getting a biopsy done. And I remember leaving the biopsy. My dad was with me, and I we walked out, and I was like, Dad, I have cancer. And he's like, what do you mean? No, you're fine. You know, just you trying to be a parent. But I just knew. Like, the, all the things up to that point, I should not have been doing. And so I knew. Um, but it was just a matter of waiting for the phone call. And January 5th, I got the phone call. And that's when mm-hmm. the next five years started. Yeah. It was almost, it's almost as if sometimes I, I don't even know what life was like before that. Yeah. But also being someone who's so present, it's you're so dedicated to it now. So you you were diagnosed with thyroid cancer, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's less about the stage than it is the type, mm-hmm. right? So can you because there might be listeners out there who experience this in their future with their parents now. What kind were you diagnosed with? So I was originally diagnosed with what's called papillary carcinoma, which is the one that pretty much everybody gets, um, and that's the one that not everyone gets. But if you get thyroid cancer, it's the most common thyroid cancer, right? Yeah. Um, And the way that they describe it is we're going to have surgery. We'll take your thyroid out. You'll do radioactive iodine. And in six months, you should be good to go. Um, So I went in. I had surgery. And the doctor, my surgeon up in New York, he and most doctors do this. But when, when they go in for surgery, they take your thyroid out. And then they always go one past the cleanest lymph node that they see. Just make sure nothing has metastasized. To get their margins. Right. I, when he went to go past, he saw a cluster um, down in the lower part of my thyroid bed on the left side. So he took that out as well. Um, He was super happy about the surgery. And a couple weeks later, I see my doctor and I, I think it was May, right around Memorial Day, I did the radioactive iodine and you're isolated for four or five days. And what I started to notice was I was not getting better at all. I just kept getting worse. Like your your moods and your energy were getting worse? My mood, my energy, just that was all getting worse. I couldn't snap out of it. I could barely stay awake, um, even just sitting up and talking to somebody. Yeah. And as I tried to press my doctor for some answers in terms of understanding, you know, I'm on these medicines now for the rest of my life and – if they don't work, I don't work. I mean, it really is. That's the, the mindset that I've come to now. And she almost as if it, she never had a patient like me before. So she didn't know how to handle my situation. And so we decided to part ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for anybody listening, a perfect working thyroid on a, you know, they call it TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, is between zero and four. And... At the time of my surgery, I was at about a 3.5. So even though my thyroid was full of cancer, it was still working properly. 
And as time went on, I remember going for my my radioactive iodine. And so what do they do is they try to deplete you of all your medicine. So that way, when they give you the radioactive iodine, all the cells are just yearning for what you're feeding it. And so it so soaks it up. So it absorbs it, it in. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, when I went, they gave me my first shot and then said, okay, go take a walk and then come back for your second shot. Well, when I came back for my second shot, mm-hmm. they had taken blood work before my first shot. When I came back, they were like, oh, we're not going to give you the second shot because your TSH is already really high. And I was like, well, what is it? And they're like, well, 27. Hello. And I was like, excuse me? And they're like, you yeah. You knew that it should have been around zero to four. Yeah. And so the nurse says to me, yeah, you know, we're, we were actually wondering how you were actually walking in here. And I said, I don't know. And they're like, well, your doctor hasn't called you? And I said, no. And so that's when the fire alarm went off that, okay, things can happen very quickly and they can get bad really quick. So I go through my radioactive iodine. And as the summer progresses getting into the fall, I'm getting worse and worse and worse. Now I'm starting to feel really sluggish and I'm starting to get body fat in places that like, can you talk about that? Like specifically where were you? Is it like lower belly? Was it like behind your arms? Yeah, it was lower belly. It was, um, triceps, um, you know, lower back Yeah. and just feeling like my, my shirts didn't feel right. Nothing felt right. I was always uncomfortable. Yeah. And so my sister-in-law worked up at Brigham Women's Hospital up in Boston. She's like, look, she's like, we have a phenomenal endocrinologist up here. Why don't you guys come up? Mm-hmm. So I go up and I get all my blood work done, come back in. And he says, Chris, we have a problem. I said, what's that? He goes, well, your TSH is 88. And I hopped on the scale and I was like 306 pounds. I had gained like 40 pounds. And the problem is, is that when your TSH gets so high and I'm so hypothyroid, all the function just goes away. Yeah. And so mental fog, clarity is nothing there. And so I'm basically just a shell, just waking up and going to sleep, waking up and going to sleep. So I'm not even noticing that I've, you know, I I feel uncomfortable, but I'm also not noticing that I've put on 44 pounds. And that's part of the issue too, is that because I'm 6'4 and because I'm like right now, I think I'm 258 right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and my wife even, you know, she was like, yeah, I can know you should put on a little bit of weight, but you know, I, I just, I can hold it. So yeah, 44 pounds doesn't seem like a lot. True. So that's when I started just, they started pumping me with just so much medicine and trying to, un- trying to get my levels down. And within a decent period of time, six, eight weeks, I started to do, I started to feel better. I'm on a lot of medicine and. And they didn't know that you still had cancer at this point. They no, we thought it was gone. They thought, okay, so they were like, that's off the table. Yeah, this is all straight up just dealing with my thyroid issues now. Oh, my gosh. And so when I went in to see my surgeon in January of 2018, mm-hmm. explained to him the whole situation, the story, how high my levels had gotten. He's like, you know, he's like, I, I just want to do another full CAT scan, PET scan, ultrasound, just to make sure everything's okay. And you're going to find something on a PET scan, like PET scans where you right. get your stuff. So got my, did my ultras, did all the scans. And what I've come to learn is that when you don't get a phone call back right away, it's not always the best thing. And so, it, you know, 10 days went by, 12 days went by 
And that's when Jill, the doctor's nurse practitioner, called me up and said, Chris, you know, we're sorry, but the cancer is back. And um, I didn't really understand how it could have metastasized the way that it did. Um, so March of 2018, had a whole other surgery, went into my neck. And everything that wasn't supposed to happen has happened. You know, when I originally got diagnosed, people had come up to my wife and said, oh, I, you know, I heard thyroid cancer is the good cancer. I'm so sorry, but he'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, oh, I had a friend like that. She was back at work in like a month. Like, he'll be fine. It's not and like you have a hangnail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think I've talked about this for a long time now. It's people's inability to be comfortable knowing what to do or say. And it's almost as if we've gotten to a place where looking at somebody and saying, I'm sorry you have to go through this, isn't enough. And that's, it is enough. It's plenty. Yeah. Because. That's a self thing where they want to make themselves feel better. Right. So they're going to project what they would want to hear or what they think on you to make sure that they've said what they can say. Right. It's less is more. I agree. And. Because if we if there's something that we all have in common, it is suffering at some point. We're always going to suffer. So to to just sit there and understand the, the empathy piece of it is, I'm sorry you're suffering, whatever it is. And the problem is, is that when you're new to this whole situation, those things can shape your expectations. Yeah. And unrealistic expectations, whether it's cancer, whether it's, uh, what team I'm on, whether whatever it is, unrealistic expectations is the biggest demise for so many of us. And when you're in that f- fight or flight, you know, you're so terrified that you're, you're grasping at straws. You want to hold on to the good information, especially when it's coming from doctors, you know? Absolutely. So you're, you're going to take everything that you can to make yourself feel better to get out of that fight or flight. Right. Yeah. So I end up having surgery and a whole bunch of lymph nodes get taken out. <laughs> And I met with a new endocrinologist, a new oncologist, and we're trying to find different cocktails, different supplements, different ways for the medicine to work and for my numbers to get to a place where I can be, I don't even want to call it normal. But a functioning part of society. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we also found out was that I didn't have papillary carcinoma. I had what's called tall cell variant which is um, if you picture cancer cells, most of the time they are laying down flat as if we were laying down flat with our mouths open. Tall cell variant is picture palm trees standing up. And so the, the issue with that is because the mouth of the cell is up, standing up, radioactive iodine can't be absorbed by it. You know, when, when, when a hurricane hits, the top of the tree doesn't get flooded. The bottom does. Good point. Okay. okay. So now we're learning that there is no quote unquote treatment for my type of cancer. The idea is that if we can somehow stabilize all my thyroid levels, thyro- that will keep it from growing. Okay. Essentially the thyroid stimulating hormone, the higher my numbers got, the more fertilizer we put on those cancer cells. Okay. So the idea is that I don't really have a um, treatable cancer um i have a surgical diagnosis which means if things just keep growing and i just keep having surgery so the idea is that hopefully at some point one day we can be cancer dormant 
Okay. So there is a potential to be cancer dormant. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's not the same thing as remission. Or Yeah, or cancer-free. Or cancer-free. Right. Okay. What is it? I guess it could be different now. Mm-hmm. But when you say that to me, it, it was always, I was always waiting for someone to to give an answer of typically this lasts for x amount of time and and then we'll reevaluate or then we'll do something and then you know hopefully you'll be in remission or cancer free then what is it like to continue to have to tell people hey I'm not going to ever have the answer that you want or that's going to make you feel comfortable because you are the one who has to deal with the diagnosis, you and your closest family and friends. People age at different speeds, and the date on your license may not represent your inner biological clock at all. If you're looking for ways to extend your health span and slow down the aging process, the keys to health and longevity run in your blood. That is why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to boost your metabolism, reduce your stress, improve your sleep, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness data tracking to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. I recently took an Inside Tracker DNA test. I didn't know exactly what kind of tools I was going to get back. People have always told me that I, I show up and I look like a runner. People may think, oh, long legs means you run long distances. I found out that based on my DNA and what is optimal for me, I am more of a power sprinting athlete and I operate well with weights, which makes so much sense. Some of my absolute favorite exercises are hitting some sprints on the treadmill, Heavy weights, but intentional, and Pilates, things like that. I'm not going to be a marathon runner. So now you can actually connect your inside tracker to your Apple Watch to unlock deeper, more precise insights into your health. With real-time exercise, resting heart rate, and sleep data synced with your inside tracker plan, you can truly wear your health on your sleeve. For a limited time, you can get 20% off of the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash hotter than health. So make sure you're checking out what kinds of workouts are the best for your DNA. What is your DNA telling you about what's optimized? What kind of vitamins are you lacking in? What type of support do you need? Again, for a limited time, 20% off of the entire Inside Tracker store. Just head to insidetracker.com slash hotter than health. Again, that's inside tracker, inside, I-N-S-I-D-E, tracker.com slash hotter than health. If you follow me on Instagram at Eliza G underscore wellness, you might notice that I have been traveling a lot more for work, which means that my morning routine is a little bit off. And when I say a little bit off, I just mean a little bit different. I'm still getting my cold shower in for 30 seconds. I'm getting my movement in, my sunlight, my hydration. But what one thing is that has not changed at all is my greens powder. You all have heard me talk about this before, the Organifi Greens Juice. This is my absolute favorite nutrition recommended, dietitian recommended green juice powder. I mix it in with 32 ounces of water every single morning. I actually cut the portion in half, which is so much more optimal for me personally. I just prefer the taste, but 
I've noticed that when I do have my greens powder in the morning, it basically just kickstarts my digestion. It gets everything going earlier on in the day. And I just feel like it's setting me up for success. And I'm someone who has often talked about the benefits of having balanced meals to make sure our hunger cravings and our hunger cues are on point. This is something that actually helps me with that. When I know my nutrition is checked off first thing in the morning and getting those optimizing vitamins and minerals, it's something that I know is stimulating my digestion. It is filling in the nutritional gaps and that way it helps me to really make sure that when I'm craving something later, it's a real craving. I'm actually hungry. It's not some nutritional gap or mineral gap, vitamin gap that needs to be filled in. If you want to check this out, but you travel a ton, make sure you check out the Organifi Greens Juice Travel Packets. These are some of my absolute favorites. And if you are looking for a nice, healthy, hot chocolate at night, you can check out the Gold Chocolate. That's one of my other favorite products. Again, you can check out Organifi and get 20% off of your entire order. That is one of the best rates that they offer. So check it out. Use the code HTH at checkout. It is, again, Organifi.com backslash H. TH for 20% off. Try the green juice powder and for a little chocolatey nightcap, get the hot chocolate gold. So I'll answer that by saying this. Okay. December of 2019, I was at my lowest, darkest point, and I, I thought I had already been there multiple times. Mm-hmm. And my lowest, darkest point was I, the day after Thanksgiving, 2019, I was here working. I left. I'm driving home. And then I thought I was having what was a heart attack. Mm. My left arm went numb. I My vision went blurry. My chest had never been so tight in my entire life. I went home. And I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm having a heart attack. I need to go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. And my TSH had spiked all the way up to 99. And so I was having a thyroid storm. And thyroid storms can manifest in many different ways. Mine just happened to be a heart attack. So it was a heart attack? Um, it Heart attack symptoms. Symptoms. Okay, yeah. okay. And it's basically your body's way of just going getting help. And the problem is, is that up until that point, my symptoms had always been very physical. Exhaustion energy, inflammation, um, joint pain, Mm -hmm. not wanting to get out of bed. But the problem is that this time it was all mental. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I had really gotten a deep, dark look into what hormonal imbalance can do to a person and how you can be so chemically fucked up. And that just leads you to these places that you really hope no one ever goes. And it's sad to hear when people do go to those places and they do end up unfortunately taking action and taking their lives and stuff like that, because I had no hope at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you were I, like, is this going to be my life from yeah. now on? And I had never dealt with paranoia before. I was now paranoid. I had never dealt with such levels of anxiety before. Um, and the problem is, is that your thyroid takes care of metabolic function core temperature, stress, cortisol levels, adrenal function. So when all that stuff is out of whack, I mean, there's no way to recalibrate. There's no balance. And so for two months, I ended up being suicidal 
and not that I, you know, I, I never got to the place where I actually planned it out, but I thought the only relief I could ever get was that. And the problem is, is that I'm sitting here and I have a 10 month old daughter who's, you know, the most amazing thing and, and what I should be living for. And I have an amazing wife and it's what I should be living for. Um, and so to have that constant battle in your brain of, I want to be in the moment and I love my daughter so much and I love my wife so much, but in five minutes, I know I'm going to be back in this just dark, painful place. Yeah. Um, and so luckily I was able to find, um, I called one of my clients who had a really bad case of Hashimoto's and she okay. had always told me about this doctor. And I remember calling her and I was crying and I said, I need help. And, um, luckily I, she emailed this doctor, doctor emailed me back right away and said, my office is waiting for your call. Went, saw her on January 3rd of 2020. And I can honestly say she saved my life. Um, wow. What were some of the things that you guys did other than her being incredibly responsive, which yeah. I think is, is the first line of defense and help. It's just so nice to know that someone is there for you. So what did, in that crisis, what were some of the things that they did? She first thing you did is she actually did a whole stool test and a gut check on me. Mm -hmm. um, no serotonin <laughs> in the gut. Yeah. Found out that I had H. pylori. I had C. diff. I had uh, developed a gluten intolerance. Um, and because of all those things and because of my hormonal imbalances, she believed that I had an absorption issue. So we changed my medicine from a pill to a solution that basically just went under my tongue yeah and those things seemed to work um we upped my medicine even more uh we but were you could absorb it right so, okay we were staggering it throughout the day so instead of you know essentially fueling up my tank at the beginning of the day and just letting it deplete now we're trying to you know a quarter of a tank all day is better than an empty tank at one point of the day um and the amazing thing is that she just kept trying she understood that i'm dealing with somebody who maybe i've never dealt with before it's a special case it's a different case and she also took into account that i did have the athlete background and that i had also gotten to the place where i had already been the victim i spent you know almost two years as the victim and waiting for science to happen and waiting for things to happen and so she knew that I was in a place where I would do anything that I need to do and I will take care of everything that's in my control. Like, I just need a plan. I need a process. Yes. Let's just, let's figure it out. And slowly things started to, to work better. And about six months later, when I actually was more balanced, I was able to actually take a step back. And I remember being on a walk one day, I was by myself and I took this step back and I, literally just sat down on the side of the road and started crying because it was the first time that I'd actually been able to take it all in what had just happened to me for those six months. Yeah. And understanding that to go that low and to go that deep and to have zero control of it. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, mind over matter is a real thing as long as you're balanced inside. That's yeah. when, you know, I, I, yeah, I can push 10 more minutes yeah. if I'm balanced inside. But it's like, how, there's no wellness tools and mental 
cognition tools that you can use to get out of that type of situation when you're whole. No. Your whole, yeah. No, when your cortisol levels won't recalibrate and they won't balance, um, the best way I could describe it is take a coffee cup, put your faucet on drip, and at some point that coffee cup's going to fill up and it's never going to be empty again, no matter how slow the drip is. Yeah. And so that's your bow, that's your body. And when your cortisol levels don't get that opportunity to flush out and rebalance, whether it's for men, we work on a 24 hour clock. So it's usually yeah. two, three, four in the morning for women. Obviously it's a little bit different where you, um, you know, you might have your, your four cycles within your it's literally one big 28 cycle. days. Right. <laughs> um, but it just, it needs that opportunity yeah. for you to be that optimal balanced person to be able to look at things rationally and take a step back and see it for what it is. Um, because other than that, you know, things are just so out about out of balance. And even still to this day right now, I mean, I, unfortunately a couple of, you know, last week I, I got a report that wasn't great. I had been trending in the right direction for six months and then everything just went in the opposite direction. So, you know, I'm constantly just walking on this fine line of, I'm essentially on a cliff and when things are great and I'm on that edge, it's a beautiful view, but at some point I can fall off. Um, and I mean, living in a state, uh, so many people talk about anxiety and stress. I talk about it all the time because it really does stem back to lack of control, lack of understanding and inability to predict what's going to happen. And when you live in that constant state, whether it's from a situation like yours where you are literally waiting for the other foot shoe to drop mm-hmm. or or you're, you're hyper aware to different situations and that could have come from trauma in your childhood, you know? Yeah. So how are you able to live a daily life with gratitude and with stoicism and just a level head, knowing that at any any day you could get a different kind of phone call that could change the tra- trajectory of everything. Like I, tools. I for sure have come to a place where I'm back to a much more of a process oriented life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I preach it to my the kids I train all the time. Um, if you are s- focused on the one, two, or three things that make you be successful. Um, it's really hard to not be successful. It's really hard to allow the negative stuff to come in. You're going to have a bad day. That's the law of averages. Mm-hmm. I just know that there are just certain non-negotiables for myself. Let's talk about that. What are those? Six days a week, I have to work out. Your workouts are gnarly. <laughs> you're like, this is my cardio, and you're swinging two 80-pound kettlebells. <laughs> I picked up a two-pound weight this morning and threw my back out. <laughs> Jesus. But tell me about your workouts and what that entails. Yeah, it's just it's constantly being pushed and and finding out that when you are pushing your own envelope, any workout is a good workout. Um, And so that's why I've really developed this this idea lately in the last 6, 12, 18, 24 months of getting back to training. Whereas post, post-career, before this, it was just workout, 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 workout. And I truly believe anybody can go get a really hard workout in. I can go throw up in, you know, 
I can tell you to do a thousand burpees and you're going to be totally. like, that was insane, yeah. but it's not That's a great strategic. workout, but it's not strategic. It's not leading to someplace. And over the course of the last 18, 24 months, being able to be in a process oriented mindset that every day is going towards something um, and having those non-negotiables that a workout will get done no matter how small or how, how short a time period out of time, how long time period I have. And how imperative it is to me being balanced and me being there for my wife and my kids and my athletes and my family. It takes a minute, but people around you start to know, okay, look, he's going to go get this done. And yeah. there have been plenty of times where I'm, I'm at my in-laws or I'm at my family's house or where I have family in town that like 4.30, 4.45, 5 in the morning, I'm out the door. Yeah. It just, it has to get done. Um, and the peace that it brings me to be able to have that time and knowing that because I got that small win, I know you're a James Clare fan, mm -hmm. because I got that small win, mm -hmm. what it does to set me up for the rest of that day and that week. It changes everything. And I, I notice the days that I don't start my day with a walk, with a stretch. It, it can be two minutes. It can be me getting to the gym and then coming back. Like it's the dedication in yeah. that moment. It's that you set this, I tell my clients all the time, the confidence is going to come when you keep making these small commitments to yourself. And it could be one page in a book. It could, you know, however it starts. Absolutely. So six days a week of your grueling, and you guys make sure you follow him on Instagram, Chris Vasami training, or Chris Vasami. Just Chris Vasami. Okay, I'll, I'll obviously have you in the show notes and everything. Mm -hmm. But, um, okay, so there's obviously the training. Mm -hmm. What are some other non-negotiables? Because everyone in here always wants to hear about the supplements, the routines, the mindfulness, and... I want to track back to the mindfulness as well. But. I have to read five, ten pages every day. And what I've come to learn to do is I wake up, and the first thing I do is I drink my pre-workout. And while I wait for my pre-workout to sink in, that's when I get my reading done. Okay. So you're like levitating by the end of your reading. Uh -huh. <laughs> so there's, there's just so much consciousness going on. Um, Hyper-consciousness. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, what I just read or – planning my workout, visualizing my workout, visualizing my day. That's it's the best. It's being centered in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and understanding. I'm in a place now, and I said this to my doctor the other day, that it's I live this life of dichotomy because on the outside and the things that I do have control of, I feel really good about what I'm doing. I feel really good about where I'm going. I've never been this strong. I wish I was this strong when I played. I wish I was this athlete when I played. Um, I just turned 37, and, and I feel better now than I ever have um, in terms of what I'm able to do and accomplish and, and things I'm able to push. I feel like your clarity is so much stronger too. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, on the inside, I'm, I'm sick. Mm -hmm. And people see me. And, you know, you see me and people see me at the gym. And, and the other day I just PR'd 365 pounds on bench press and people see that. And so they just assume, like, you're better. You're fine. You're good. And yes. the issue is that I'm not good. I'm not fine. I am sick. And this is – it's not a identity thing. It's just – it's a fact. I'm a realist. And the issue with that is – because I'm not complaining and because I'm not talking about all the things that I deal with negatively on a daily basis, people get this idea that 
you're good. You're fine. You're good to go. You must be, everything must be working. Because you don't identify with your, your disease. Right. It's a part of you, but it isn't you. Yeah. Being the victim did not help. It never helps. It will never help. You can be understanding and be aware of your circumstances, but that is very, that is very different than being a victim. But here's what I'll say. We were talking about this on the phone the other day that some people, and I fall into this category, have to cultivate self-awareness in situations. Mm-hmm. It took for it took me four years of being numb and anxious to look back and say, holy shit, you have been numb and anxious in a shell of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then and then cold and then start to utilize the tools that you were fake using for the past four years. So when you say you were playing a victim, did it take until that moment when you thought you were having a heart attack, your lowest low or to really realize, Oh my God, I can't believe all that I have been through, all that I'm fighting, all that I'm fighting for. Did it take that moment of realization when you had your, your, I'm, I call it a heart attack, but your heart you attack symptoms. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so from that moment forward, you were like, I'm not playing the victim anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because my body is going to do whatever it wants to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm beholden to these medicines for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's just the way it is. And if my body absorbs it, I'm good. And if my body doesn't absorb it, I'm not good. You're going to have to I, constantly be pivoting. Yeah. But I can't sit around and wait to feel great or amazing and everything to be perfect for me to go, okay, let's go to the gym today. I can't do That's that. That's like someone saying, I have to lose weight before I go to the gym or I have to get fit before I go to the gym or I have to feel ready to take yeah. this leap of some sort. Absolutely. And I want to get, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you touched on before. You don't look sick. You really don't. <laughs> I mean, when I first met you, I was like, they said this was Christmas on me, but I don't think that's him <laughs> because this guy's fit and he's coming to speak to our class and all of these things. When... Do people ever say, no, you're not? Like, do people ever really not believe you? Or is it that you don't really tell people until it becomes necessary? It's a both. For the people who have been with me on this journey and have seen the ups and downs and the and the highs and lows, they can appreciate it. For the people who are, are just learning, um, they are going to have a certain idea in their mind what cancer looks like, sick looks like, thyroid disease looks like. And I want to be able to show people that when you do take control of the things that you can, um, your quality of life can go up, even with the circumstances being what they are. Yeah. And I do live my life every six to eight weeks because that's how often I get my blood work done and we check my levels and, and we see if things are, which way they're trending. It's, it's really that okay. simple to say. Um, but you have the depth of someone who is, you put the intention into things the way that someone would if they knew they were never going to get sick a day in their life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you're fully integrated into your business and growing your business. You are a fully present father and husband and you want to establish deep connections with people. It's, I feel like a lot of people who almost were living the six to eight week journey that you are, they would, they'd be buying tickets to Ibiza. They'd be kind of living willy nilly and then starting over every six to eight weeks. You know, there's two major things that have come out of this 
for me. The first thing is that um, every day that you wake up, that is a day of hope. And for people who don't get the choice of getting out of bed, for people who, sadly like your mom, don't get the choice to even open their eyes, to be able to get out of bed and do what I do, and that is my... That is my ode to them. You can take your time. People ask me all the time, how do you do it? And my my wife and my daughters and those people who don't get the choice anymore. It would be selfish and reckless of me to be able to get out of bed and waste a day. And the other thing that's come out of this is I've always loved people and I've always loved being connected to people, but this has just brought that to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, And I also think living in the digital world that we do, um, you really do kind of get sucked into the the phone or the computer into thinking that you really do know somebody and you can feel somebody, but then when you are in that present moment with them, that just gets heightened to a whole new level. People ask why I don't do YouTube or why I don't do these things. I'm like, you don't get it. It's it's the connection. Yeah. And I could talk to someone for one hour once in my life on a podcast interview. I'm like, dude, we had the best connection. Yeah. It fires you up. Yeah. And, but it took something, it took something like this to make you realize that you don't just have to have that with family or right. your, or your daughters, or your, your wife. And I do want to ask about that. You, you now have three women yeah. <laughs> who have your heart. You've got two daughters who mm-hmm. are how old are they now three and 19 months three and 19 months and he has pictures all over the office and they are precious Thanks. they're precious what are their names uh laney is three and georgia is 19 months Ugh, angels they're so sweet and like six four dad is just a jungle jam <laughs> yeah. um and you gotta be there for them you gotta yeah. do they i'm sorry i'm assuming that they don't understand yet no <laughs> or they don't know yet but no. you've always been there so you know and you've always been energized whether it was faking it or or really feeling it that day but you touched on this in the beginning and this is for anyone who's listening who is currently with someone who has been diagnosed or is starting to notice things or is just in a part of their relationship where they're noticing a slump in in the in the sexuality and the connection and the energy, anything like that. What, what was it like to, for your ego to not have that passion in your relationship? And are you able to talk about that now? Oh, I mean, you are able to talk about it now openly, but what it, what was it like at the time so that you can almost personify it for someone who could be going through it? 
it all comes down to communication. Mm-hmm. It can be verbal communication or the nonverbal communication. You know, it's interesting because men and women are just, they're wired so differently. And I remember I read this book before I had Lainey called Strong Fathers Raise Strong Daughters. And in the book, they talk about an experiment that they did, an observation that they did. And it was a father and a son sitting on the couch watching TV together for three hours. And afterwards, after the father and son didn't say a word to each other the whole time, the person running the experiment said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how quality of a time did you just spend? And they both were like, that was amazing. That was amazing quality time. Mm-hmm. They then did the same thing with the father and the daughter. They I would be like, he's pissed at me. They watched <laughs> TV together, right? Didn't say a word to each other. Afterwards, dad, how was it? That was great. Daughter, how was it? My dad doesn't love me. Because no words were spoken. Is that like you, or do you need more words of affirmation as well? I It's a little or bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to have that communication is the biggest thing that Paige and I learned. Mm-hmm. And things can't go unsaid and things can't let things fester and conflict delayed is conflict multiplied and you you have to talk about it no matter how uncomfortable but at the same time you've chosen to be with each other so you've you've chosen to be able to have these uncomfortable conversations and I say it all the time you know when you're 28 years old and you say your vows and you say in sickness and in health you don't think that those words are going to come to fruition in three years. Yeah. You know, you wait until like the end of life to have right. these. That's 30, yeah. 40, 50 years down the road. And we didn't really understand what that meant. And the problem is that, that, that to both of us, what was holding us back the most was fear. We were just scared because mm-hmm. we'd never dealt with this. I don't know what it means to, to not, you know, know what's wrong with me and not be able to, explain that to my partner and Paige doesn't know how to take care of me. And and so that's why there's so many times where anytime I know somebody who's going through sickness, I want to know about the caregiver just as much as I want to know about the person who who's going through it. Because a lot of times the caregiver is the one giving, 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 and nothing, nobody's taking care of them. Nobody's asking them what they need. Even just, even just a hug, a conversation. How are you? Yeah. Goes such a long way. And so for it was less about ego and it was more about being able to get everything out mm-hmm. and have the understanding of this is where we've been here where we are let's just go forward and make everything as good as it can possibly be yeah with communication being at the center of it at all times you know we we always joke you know the Paige and Chris from three years ago, the Paige and Chris from five years ago, like would have done this. And so we're just constantly showing each other the growth that we've had. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's amazing. It all, it all comes from the, a place of understanding and being aware that we have been given gifts, even through the, even through suffering, like these are gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, Clearly, you have perspective that is rare to find or that cult- it takes a lifetime to cultivate. And you can 
execute and you can deliver that to people who need to hear it, whether they're just, whether they're suffering from anxiety, whether they're dealing with a parent or a friend who's been diagnosed, what would your, what would your words be to someone who is, who has been diagnosed but doesn't have a spouse, parents live far away, they don't have that connection, because that's a real thing, Mm -hmm. like, it's more common than we think. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't have resources. What would you say to that person? Or what do you say to those people who have just recently been diagnosed? Number one, the first thing to do is to put your pride away. I mean, you are now in a, in a place where there is no going back. You know, I can never be the person I used to be, nor do I want to. Um, I can reminisce about days where I never had to think about getting out of bed. There are still days where I have to look at my shoes and negotiate with them just to put them on. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just, that's who I am now. So being able to put your pride away and seek help and ask for help and understand that, going back to what we talked about before, everybody suffers. So even though somebody might not be going through exactly what you're going through, you are on your own journey, but there are enough people who have been on parallel journeys that you can talk to and get an understanding of um, how to persevere and how to be resilient. I love that. Put the pride away. Well, before I let you go, Chris, can you let us know some of your favorite wellness resources, books, supplements, um, meditations, stretches some things that you love that are part of your non-negotiables so the first thing for me is um salt i saw your your iodized salt my cyanide right here Mm -hmm. um salt is life you know when you start to understand um that you know the world is covered with salt water you start Mm -hmm. to understand um we've been leaking salt water this whole interview (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so pink salt uh, in water, you know, white crystal salt, iodized salt, whatever it is, like get it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have it with my water probably two, three times a day. I am a huge fan of um, vitamin D. Mm-hmm. I take a prebiotic and a probiotic every day because gut health is just so important. Um, you know, it's I, – I read something one time that said how – clear is the window that you're looking through and the way to understand that is if you were sitting on your if you were standing in your in your house and you were looking out the front window if it was clear you could see everything Mm -hmm. and if it wasn't clear all you could see was the dirtiness in front of you Mm. and so how often are you cleaning that window genius and so whether that's you know in your mind whether that's in your heart, whether that's literally in your in gut, your bowels, right? <laughs> you know, these are things that have to be taken account of, mm-hmm. and I I like to call it inventory. How often are you taking inventory? Um, people aren't, they don't have the the awareness, and I think sometimes they just don't want to admit that you know I have a problem. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to be a fool at something. 
Like, yeah. We all were fools. At Especially some, at some if point. you think you're a pro. Yeah. I literally had to be helped off, helped off of the floor this morning by right. two fitness professionals <laughs> in the first 90 seconds of a workout. We'll talk about that later. But you are just a wealth of knowledge. So salt, water, daily stoic, and the quotes that you live by. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, I, I have my four gr- my four G's, I call them, and this is what I've, you know, kind of established over these course of the last, you know, five years. It's it's my grind, my grit, my grace, and my gratitude. And every day is a grind. Um, I believe in grit. I believe that there are just times where you're going to want it more than somebody else, where you're going to want it more than the person you were yesterday. And if grit wasn't real, there wouldn't be books written about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a skill that can be worked on it can be practiced um grace is you know god is grace me mm-hmm. so um it's the least i can do to show that same grace to the people who i come in contact with on a on a daily basis and then the gratitude to be able to open my eyes every day and kiss my daughter's good night and mm-hmm. kiss my wife and you know tell the people who who i care about um that I love them and I'm thinking about them and, and to be able to do it and, and not expect anything in return is a very freeing feeling. It really is. It feels so nice. I heard someone say yesterday, they were like, my goal every day is to go do something nice and make sure I'm not, make sure nobody knows. And that's, I really liked that. It was like, just do it for you. Yeah. Do or do it for them. Not for you. Right. Uh, not for the glory, not for the ego. And I think the more you can do that, like by getting off social media, by making eye contact, yeah. by understanding that you can just listen for a good conversation. I came in here with a hundred questions and it's just, it's all about the story. You just hear people's story. You'd never know. You never know what someone's going through every day. And it starts over every single day, I feel like. But I just want you to know that you are heard and appreciated and my family adores you. I adore you. For anyone who's listening, where can they find you? Tell us about your training and um, all your socials and such. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at, at Chris Vasami. I'm an open book, so feel free to reach out about anything, um, anytime. Even if you just want to be heard, vent, scream, yell. Um, VasamiTraining.com is where you can find all my training things. I have a uh, workout program on there. Um, and my email is vasami training at gmail.com. Oh, that's kind of you to include. And y'all, he has his workouts on his Instagram as well. So if you'd like to go ahead and just take a look, I have a feeling that some people were had their phones out while they were listening to this. They're like, I gotta see what this guy looks like. I gotta see. Well, thank you so much. You are welcome anytime on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Hotter Than Health. I know you absolutely loved that episode. How could you not? Chris Asami is such a character and he has so much charisma and so much value for the world. Thank you, Chris, for coming onto the podcast. And again, we are doing a giveaway of a Hotter Than Health tote bag. So make sure you head over to iTunes, leave a review, make sure you hit follow on the top. That is huge, huge, huge. Head to iTunes, hit follow in the top right-hand corner. And that way I know that you have subscribed, you've left a review. And if you mention something about thyroid cancer or anything specific about this podcast episode, I will know that you listened and tune in next week to see if you have won. And I will send you 
you a badass tote bag. Again, for anyone who is listening, who is interested in learning more about the thyroid, thyroid cancer, anything about Chris Basami's hitting coach, hitting training, or anything about his strength training program that is out, absolutely check him out. He is on Instagram, Chris Basami. Feel free to DM him, reach out directly, and get some guidance in any in any way, shape, or form, and just show him some love. Show him some love. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week and weekend, and we will talk to you next Thursday.